Hello, dear listeners. It's me, Gloria, from Spain. And as I told you the week before, I will be hosting a free topic program the whole of July. This is the second program that I have prepared for all of you. And if in the previous show I spoke about one of the most revolutionary Spanish fashion designers nowadays, in this program I would like to present to you a great figure in the painting's world. And not this time it's not going to be Spanish but English. The artist that turned blonde because blondes always have more fun is a fundamental figure in understanding the art of the 20th and 21 centuries. Pop art transgressor, tireless worker, and explicitly sexual artist David Hockney turns his desires and passions into intense zones of color that shoot directly into the viewer's heart and mind. So, this is David Hockney, one of the most influential British artists alive today. Hockney is best known for his iconic paintings of swimming pools and his portrait of his family and friends, most of which he made while living in California. His production goes from painting, drawing, printmaker, to video, photography and stage design. In the early 2000s, David Cockney temporarily returned to the UK, setting in Yorkshire for nine years. Fascinating by the northern England countryside and the changing of the seasons, he created a large body of landscape work that includes charcoal sketches, watercolors, monumental oil paintings and even iPad drawings. David Hockney has always been greatly inspired by Vincent van Gogh. It is in need not too hard to see the connection between the two artists. They both find endless inspiration and joy in nature. Unlike other great contemporary artists such as his friend Lucian Freud, David Cockney did not have to confront the school or his social environment to defend his need to create. Supported by his family, he studied at the Bradford College of Art and the prestigious Royal College of Art, where he met another fundamental figure in contemporary painting, Kitai. The year 1961 marked a turning point in his career as an artist, as well as a milestone in the history of contemporary British art. That year, the John Contemporaries exhibition brought together the works of Hockney, Kitai, Plague and Alan Jones, among others, and is today considered as the starting point of British pop art. But what is British pop art? Emerging in the mid-1950s in Britain and late in 1950s in America, pop art reached its peak in the 1960s. It began as a revolt against the dominant approaches to art and culture and traditional views on what art should be. 
young artists felt that what they were taught at art school and what they saw in museums did not have anything to do with their lives or the things they saw around them every day. Instead, they turned to sources such as Hollywood movies, advertising, product packaging, pop music, and comic books for their imagery. In 1957, pop artist Richard Hamilton lists the characteristic of pop art in a letter to his friend, the architects Peter and Alison Smithson. Pop art is, he said, popular design for the mass audience, transient, short-term solution, expandable, easily forgotten, low-cost, mass-produced, young, aim for youth, witty, sexy, whimky, glamorous, and business. Modernist critics were horrified by the pop artist's use of such low subject matter and by their apparently uncritical treatment of it. In fact, pop both to arc into new areas of subjects matter and develops new ways of presenting it in art and can be seen as one of the first manifestations of postmodernism. But some of you maybe are thinking when you heard about pop art, the first location that comes to your mind maybe is American pop art, but Do you want to know the difference? Well, although they were inspired by similar subject matter, British pop is often seen as distinctive from American pop. Early pop art in Britain was fulfilled by American popular culture viewed from distance, while the American uh, artists were inspired by what they saw and experienced living within that culture. In the United States, pop style was a return to representational art. Art that depict the visual work in a reconnectable way. And the use of hard edge and distinct forms after the painterly looseness of abstract expressionism. By using impersonal imagery, pop artists also wanted to move away from the emphasis of personal feelings and personal symbolism that characterized abstract expressionism. In Britain, the movement was more academic in its approach, while employing irony and parody, it focused more on what American popular imagery represented and its power in manipulating people's lifestyles. The 1950s art group, the independent group, IG, is regarded as the precursor to the British pop art movement. But, however, Hockney never fully identified with pop art, and it is not surprising his work is much richer, broader, and more versatile than the cliches allows. Playing with influences ranging from expressionism to classical techniques. It is at this time when the John Hackney begins to show the ironic rebellion that has accompanied him throughout his life. 
when the um, CRA denied him the possibility of graduating because he did not submit to final project, one was a female nude from life and a reading essay. He painted and presented the canvas life painting for a diploma in 1962 as a form of protest. In addiction, he made it clear that he had nothing to say in writing. His work spoke from him. The British institution had to recognize Hockney's talent and projection and change its rule to allow for his graduation. Openly homosexual, since his first and brilliant works, David Hockney wanted to reflect in his work the sentimental and sexual relationship between male characters. A theme that appeared reflected in works such as We Two Boys Together Clinging in 1961, an openly expressionist style painting whose aesthetics and title have left no room for that. Hockney's courage was not reduced to his personal life, but also encompasses his artistic expression. Wherever everyone adhered to the slogans of pop art, he opted for aesthetic with classical reminiscences and completely personal point of view. From the pop school he adopted the bright colors, flat areas, the use of acrylic paint. Innovative in the 60s of the 20th century, and the irony and impudence typical of many artists of his generation, of expressionism, the stain and the free stroke, and from the classics, the use of chiaroscuro, sharp lines, and formal perfection. David Hockney's Love Life is subtly reflected in many of his works. His passion for portrait motivates many of his partners to serve as a model for his paintings. This is the case of Portrait of an Atreus, picture with two figures, made in 1972, where Hockney swims in a pool under the case of his partner at that time, the artist Peter Schlesinger. Schlesinger's rapt expression and the contrast between his attire and the swimmer's almost total nudity seems to convey a sense of separation between the two with the crystal clear water creating an insurmountable barrier. Painted when the relationship was beginning to end, the work seems to symbolize the estrangement between the members of a couple. A detachment masterfully portrayed by Hockney, who embraced the bright colors and lush nature of the California summit to suggest a premonition of the breakup. To speak of David Hockney as the painter of the swimming pools does not to do justice to his magnificent work, and yet, there is no doubt that the crystal clear blue glasses that he discovered from the plane the first time he flew to California were a turning point in his trajectory. From the 1960s onwards, 
Swimming pools became the main protagonist of many of Hockney's most important paintings, such as the aforementioned portrait of an artist, a bigger splash, or Peter getting out Nick's pool award in 1967. Hockney's colors become more vivid and brilliant, getting closer to American pop art, but always maintaining the classic quality that survived throughout his work. They are large paintings full of color and warmth, marked by a modernity that still surprises us today and that include pictorial innovation full of interest. Without going any further, the very personal way used by Hockney to reflect the incident of light on the undulating water throughout Sino's crisscrossing white lines, which is perfectly captured in the Sun Father walk of 1966. David Hockney's walk encompassed much more than canvases and paintings. A versatile creator par excellence, he had excelled in disciplines such as photography, sculpture, printmaking and digital art, as we mentioned before. One of his fields of action is that of scenography, where he had made stage designs for works such as Ovo Ray, 1966, for London's Royal Court Theatre, The Rake's Progress, in 1975, and the Magic Flute in 1978, the later for the Glinderborn Opera Festival. He has also created costumes and sets for the staging of Turandot by Puccini or Tristan and Isolde by Rita Wagner, among many others. Among the works of David Cockney, his production of photo collages stand out for innovating power. Baptized by their creator as joiners, they are works created in the early 80s with a Polaroid camera at first and with commercial 35mm print later. Their work shows images of the same subject, gathered and arranged neatly on large surface to create an effect similar to that of digital pixelation, which again makes Hickney a forerunner. Joiners show two of the artist's most beloved subjects, natural landscapes and portraits. During this time, photography had an important relevance for Hockney to the point of undoing painting, but in the end, he abandoned the discipline due to the creative limitation that he ended up finding in it. David Cockney has always shown as unlimited passion for a technology, embracing from the outset all of the possibilities it offers him for the development of his art. Far from criticizing new art forms to defend additional work, something common in many of his contemporaries, Hockney endorses the new computer and digital tools to create surprising and magnificent works. His works, made using an iPad, are probably the best known and have toured the best museums in the world in the form of mass exhibitions. 
From this screen, Hoekne's work become part of audiovisual projections or print image that make up large compositions. This is the case of bigger trees near water or aux peintures sur les motifs pour les nouvelles prose photographiques in 2007, the largest work created by the artist to date. The volume of his work is brutal, from the portraits of his friends, parents and close people who are part of his first 20 years as an artist, a time of shooters, strip t-shirts and round glasses. He moves to the landscape of the west coast of the United States and the fabulous photographic montaigne that they give poetry to the desert again. He painted the Grand Canyon a lot and almost by way of denunciation and masked a drawing mechanism of great masters according to which Ingers, Vermeer and Velázquez secretly used some old optical tools such as the convex mirror or the lucid camera. The investigation was captured in the book Secret Knowledge, Rediscovering the Lost Techniques of the Old Master, released in 2006. And today, Hockney continues to research and create full-time with unstoppable force that neither his advanced age and his partial hearing loss can stop. His works, full of light, color, and reflection on nature and the human condition, are a legacy that will open infinitive paths to the most restless artists of the next generations. And dear listeners, now that you have the opportunity to listen Hockney's life, how he started in the Royal Academy of She was known since he was very young, when she was a student, then he went to California, he moved from his Yorkshire and then returned again to paint all the nature that he had abandoned previously in his born country, England, knowing All of that, I think, is good to know the background of an artist to understand a bit more his work. Now I would like to tell you what are my favorite paintings of Hockney. I would like to describe a bit the paintings and maybe you can imagine. The first one that I choose is the portrait of an artist created in 1972. I already mentioned it. It's depicts a male figure in white trunks swimming pre-stroke underwater and the painter Peter Schlesinger Hockney's former lover and muse fully clothed and standing at the edge of the pool looking down at the swimmer. The painting is set in southern France near Saint-Tropez in characteristic Hockney style. The foreground is simplified and flattened with a view of tree-clad hills in the background. 
The composition was inspired by the serendipitous combination of photographs that Hockney noticed on his studio floor, one of a man swimming underwater taken in California in 1966, and the other of a man standing looking at the ground. Yuxtaposed, it appeared as if the standing person was looking at the swimmer. Hookney's relationship with Schlesinger, as I mentioned before, had ended abruptly in 1971 following a fight in Cadaqués. By showing another young man swimming toward Peter, the artist acknowledged Lars Love and his boyfriend's desire for a new partner. The painting can be viewed as fitting into a European tradition since the Renaissance of depicting the new bathing, washing off the stain of pollution amid the peace of nature. Hockney's work on the painting for four months in late 1971, but dissatisfied with the composition, in particular with the angle of the pool, abandoned the work and started afresh. He then traveled for several months with Mark Lancaster and returned to the work in the early 1972. This year was a very productive year for Cockney as he threw himself into his world to escape from his unhappiness, often working 14 or 15 hours a day. And the other one that I choose to show you here in this free topic program is called Mr. and Mrs. Ozzy Clark. The couple are Depied in the bedroom of their flight in Notting Hill Gate, near life size, either size of a tall window with a pair of shutters, one open to reveal the balustrade of a balcony looking out over trees to a Georgian facade beyond. To the left, Bidwell stands in a purple dress with hand on hip. To the right, sits Clark in green jumper and trousers, lounging on a mother metal frame chair with his bare feet in the thick pile of a rug and a cigarette in his left hand and with a white card on his lap. Both Birthwell and Clark are looking out at the viewer, drawing them as a third person into the composition. The cat rebels by ignoring the viewer looking out of the window instead. The room is relatively bare and uncluttered in simple 1960s minimalist style with a telephone and a lamp on the floor to the right of Clark and a plain table to the left of Birdwell wearing a vase of lilies and a yellow book. There is a framed print on the wall behind her. Hockney work and rework the portraits many times until he was satisfied, repainting Clark's head perhaps 12 times. He has described the style of the painting as being close to naturalism, although the surfaces are characteristically abstract and flattened. Hockney achieves the difficult task of balancing the dark figures against the light flooding in through the window behind them. And the listeners with this, I have to finish this program. 
I hope this program had been interesting uh, for you and also that give you the desire of know more about painters, about paintings. You know, educate oneself in different ways of art. It is a good opportunity to grow. I encourage everybody to be interested in art, to go to museums. And not only that, nowadays you have a lot of opportunities to consume art. You know, you have internet, you can watch the composition of great artists online. I hope you had a great time listening this Mustare FM radio. I'll be waiting for you in the next free topic program. Bye bye.